welcome to our first episode in this mini-series on Confirmation. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Confirmation is a sacrament, unfortunately, I think very much underestimated. Perhaps you could argue that all of the sacraments are underestimated to some degree or another. But confirmation is oftentimes just kind of forgotten. It's something that you have to do as a team. As many priests uh, frustratingly remark that it oftentimes seems like the graduation of uh, a, a, a young teenage from ever having to come back to the church or ever having to come back to religious education or having to learn more about the church, etc. Because a lot of times people treat it as, well, I got to do confirmation. And once I do, I'm free. I'm done. I've done all of the things that I have to do. I'll come back to get married or something of this sort. And I think that that's obviously a, a very terrible type of perspective to have. But even among the people that don't treat confirmation as a type of graduation, but rather are appreciative of the sacrament, I think even then there's oftentimes just kind of a misconception as to what it is. A lot of people say, well, baptism, that's when you're, you're, you're going to be brought into the church by the decision of your parents. Confirmation, that's, that's when it's your choice. That's not at all the idea of confirmation. In fact, confirmation used to even be something that was given at the time of baptism uh, for infants as well. And so, although baptism and confirmation are very much related, intrinsically so, in other words, even kind of in and of themselves, what they are, they are very much related we should never understand baptism as something for the parents as well as confirmation then is something for the personal decision of the child. No, that baptism that the parents have given, that is to be a personal decision of the child. Perhaps that child's not yet able to make it on his own, doesn't have the necessary faith, which is why we have the parents and the godparents who are faithful, that their faith is what is sufficient for the infant in baptism. However, their life, the way that they're brought up, the way that they learn to pray, the virtues in which they grow, and the discipline that they learn, uh, and, and, and learning right from wrong, and getting in the habit of coming to Mass, and praying the Rosary, hopefully, every night with your family, this is what teaches those children so that every day they're making these decisions throughout the entirety of their childhood uh, to live for God. That they don't have to wait until confirmation to say, yes, I'm going to be a Christian now. No, you already are at the moment of that baptism. Again, we've talked about the, back, the sacrament of baptism and how profound it is. And so confirmation also is a very profound sacrament, but distinct from baptism. It is not just a graduation. It is not just a photo opportunity, as I say. And it is not certainly uh, just simply the ability for a child to choose when he or she is good and ready uh, to follow Christ. That is a daily decision that all of us should make uh, from the moment that we have the ability to choose by way of the use of reason. Confirmation, rather, is a type of strengthening, and that's why it's so important to really understand this word, because right here you have in the middle of the word firm. This is the root of the word itself. That's the whole idea, that when somebody is confirmed in their decision, that that is, others are firming them. They're making them more certain that they have made the right decision. And so when one is confirmed in the faith, then you are being made more certain and standing more strongly in that faith. That is what the sacrament is for. That there are stages of life, 
And as we continue to grow, we need more strength to help us because the different types of temptations and the difficulties of this life, specifically as our own authority and our own ability to, to, to choose expands, then it becomes harder and harder for us to make the right decision. So God gives us something that makes it easier and easier for us in a sense, and that is the sacrament of confirmation. Confirmation is also known as the sacrament of the Holy Ghost. It's also been called the sacrament of the seal. It can also be called the sacrament of the laying on of hands. All of these obviously have to do very much with the effects of the sacrament, of what is occurring at the moment of confirmation. Again, the main effects of confirmation is signified in this name, though, and that is to make one sure or strong uh, as they receive this sacrament, but strong in the faith. That is, to be enabled to believe firmly and profess the faith boldly. So, I will quote, Confirmation may be defined as a sacrament in which those already baptized, through the imposition of hands, anointment, and the prayer of the bishop, receive the power of the Holy Ghost, by which they are enabled to believe firmly and to profess the faith boldly. End quote. Another quote from the book of Acts, scriptures, in chapter 8, verse 14. Quote, when the apostles who were in Jerusalem had heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For he was not as yet come upon any of them, but they were only baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands upon them, and they received the Holy Ghost. End quote. Why I use this scripture? Because if you notice, there's nothing in the scripture that says that Peter and John came to these people and gave them the sacrament of confirmation. You won't find that in the sacred scriptures. Just like, as I said, you won't find the word uh, trinity in the sacred scriptures. Uh, or rapture, even though we don't believe in rapture. But we do believe in the trinity, obviously. So there's all kinds of different beliefs that have names or, 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 or events in the spiritual life that have names, but perhaps don't have a direct, uh, directly named uh, passage in the sacred scriptures. But that doesn't mean that there's not scripture that are about these different spiritual realities. And so we find in sacred scripture there is very much sufficient evidence to understand that Christ is the one that instituted the sacrament of confirmation, and this sacrament has been given even since the first apostles. That is truth. That is what we believe. And we have this backed up also, not just in sacred scripture, but if you remember the second pillar, also in sacred tradition. We see throughout the writings of the early fathers at various points and at various times in the timeline of the early Christian life that confirmation is a sacrament that is given. And it is given by the laying on of hands, it is given by the prayer, and generally it is done always by that, or not always, but in general by the bishop. Probably in the early church it was always done by the bishop. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, quote, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall by my witness in Jerusalem, be my witness, sorry, be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. End quote. St. Cyril of Jerusalem, again, just to kind of reinforce that idea that we find this in Scripture, but also in sacred tradition. Quote, to you also, after you had come up from the pool of the sacred streams, was given the chrism, the emblem of what wherewith Christ was anointed, and bread of the Eucharist, and this is the Holy Ghost. Beware of regarding this as a plain and common ointment. 
For as the bread of the Eucharist, after the invocation of the Holy Ghost, is no longer common bread, but the body of Christ, so this holy ointment, after the invocation, is no longer plain ointment. Nor, so to say, common, but the chrism of Christ, which by the presence of the Godhead causes in us the Holy Ghost. This symbolically anoints thy forehead and thy other senses, and the body indeed is anointed with visible ointment. But the soul is sanctified by the holy and life-giving spirit. End quote. This is a pretty detailed understanding of the effects and the reality of confirmation for somebody that lives very early on in Christianity, again, St. Cyril of Jerusalem, for what I think a lot of people kind of give consideration to the fact that uh, confirmation was just something that was developed over time. This is not true. Very early on, we had this sacrament. Very early on, we already have also the purpose of the sacrament, the effects of the sacrament, and why we have it. It is a significant sacrament. It is one that we find in sacred scripture. It is one that we see in the Acts of the Apostles. And it is one that is intrinsically and very much related to the power of the Holy Spirit. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. Right now, you have a lot of different Christian denominations that are very much charismatic. They're very much pointing towards get the charismata, or these gifts that are like speaking in tongues and prophecy and all of these kinds of things that are exciting and emotional at times, and etc. And we've got to be very careful with those because I think there is so much abuse and so much misunderstanding that surrounds all of that. But in addition to that, we also should be the ones as Catholics teaching these Protestants, if you want the gifts of the Holy Spirit, if you want something that is truly, dynamically, and very much related to the power of the Holy Spirit, go to the Sacrament of Confirmation. Become Catholic and receive the gifts that he gives uh, through the Sacrament of Confirmation. This is what strengthens us and binds us more closely in the faith to Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we receive a, a kind of a burst of more of the gifts of the Holy Spirit for the sake of our salvation as well as for the sake of the salvation of others. And that is an important point when it comes to this sacrament. It is not just for that individual. None of the sacraments really are only for that individual. But specifically, confirmation helps you to profess the faith boldly. In other words, it helps you to be somebody that is in the open. It helps you to be a martyr, which I believe also confirmation is and has been understood as the sacrament of martyrdom. Not in the sense that a uh, red martyrdom of somebody that's actually suffering and dying for their faith in a very physical way where their blood is being spilled, but a type of white or consistent and daily martyrdom where you're always willing to take the mockery or the humiliations because you want everybody else to be saved and you're willing to stand up even when it's going to be embarrassing or even when somebody's going to reject you or even when you're going to be mocked in countless different ways or for the rest of your high school career, or the rest of your college career, or whatever, for the sake of Christ. And so confirmation is important because it strengthens us interiorly, but it also helps us to come out and preach and teach and help and live the way that we should to be truly witnesses for Christ. What is the matter and the form of confirmation? Because we don't have such clarity in the scriptures, so detailed uh, of, of passages about the sacrament of confirmation, it is a little bit more difficult for us to nail down exactly what is the matter and the form of confirmation. We have all of the necessary means, right? So because Christ is the one that instituted all of the sacraments, he's the one that instituted all of the form and the matter. For instance, 
go out to all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, our baptism, when we baptize, should be, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We don't say in the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sanctifier, or in the name of Jesus, or anything like this. We say what Christ has taught us, because he's the one that instituted the sacraments. Likewise with confirmation. We have enough information to understand what is necessary to do and to say for the sake of the sacrament being valid. But that doesn't mean that we actually have theological uh, and direct and detailed information as to exactly what word or words must be said in what order. And that doesn't mean uh, to, to, to be the case either. What we need is the sacrament and we need it validly. What we need is to have the theology that supports it and, under, and, and behind it. What we need is the fact that this is something truly and authentically instituted by Christ himself, that it is something supported both scripturally as well as in sacred tradition. And we have all of that. So, although there are some differing opinions, all, again, very close as to what the actual form and the actual matter are, realize that they're not all directly aligned, but there is at least a very prominent one. I think one that most uh, theologians all agree on. And the other ones that don't very much agree with at least part of it. And, and, and again, at least enough to have the sacrament be valid. Matter. The matter is, or the prominent, uh, I should say, the prominent idea as to what the matter is, is the imposition, quote, the imposition of hands and the anointment with sacred chrism both concern the essential matter, end quote. So, of the sacrament, we don't, instead of just having one thing like water, we have, for the matter itself, both the ointment uh, that is given, the, the sacred chrism, this is something that on Holy Tuesday is blessed at the same time that this oil of catechumens and the oil of uh, the infirmed are blessed, at the same time, we also believe that not just the oil, but also the imposition of hands. So the matter of the sacrament is when the bishop is laying his hands, or a priest, when it's possible, and given permission by the bishop, then it is when the bishop lays his hands and gives the anointment. In fact, I believe that this is actually done uh, all simultaneously, in that the way that the bishop gives the uh, oil of chrism is by putting his hand on the forehead of the person while marking the the the, for, the the forehead with the thumb that has the chrism on it. And so in a sense, you're laying your hands on and giving the chrism at the same time. But in the ritual, there's actually a moment or a laying on of hands that occurs before that as well. So the matter again, the imposition of hands and the sacred chrism. The form is... Something that must express two concepts. So it's not direct wording. Even though the church gives us a direct wording, that expresses these two concepts that are necessary. But in the form, the two concepts that are necessary is the act of signing or sealing. That is what we're doing with the sacred chrism. And then secondly, the grace of the Holy Ghost. So the formula that is used, the form, the words must indicate the act of the signing or the sealing as well as the grace of the Holy Spirit. So right now, the words that must be said are, be sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. Be sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is what the bishop tells each person as he is sealing them with this oil of chrism. Let us just look at this oil. 
The laying on of hands is something that has many different meanings. It can be a meaning of healing. It can be a meaning of empowering in the sense that the Holy Spirit is working through the one that has authority to lay hands on, like ordination, etc., and confirmation, I would put, as well. The oil, though, is a sign that represents a few different things. One, it represents strength. Oil is a type of or at least in the past, was used as a type of uh, protection or sealing against diseases. I think, if, from, if I remember correctly, oil at times would be used after one takes a bath. And it was a type of way to protect yourself from the kinds of germs and other things so that you were able to continue to move forward without becoming weak, infirm, sick, broken, and possibly death. Remember, back then, you become sick, there's a decent chance you're going to die. Nowadays, that's very different, so we look at illness very differently. But back then, it was a much more serious thing. And so doing whatever was necessary to seal yourself, protect yourself, was important. Well, likewise, in the soul, we need protection. We are so vulnerable, specifically the further and further we are away from Christ. The, least, the less that we love him, the more vulnerable we are. The farther away we are from him, the more vulnerable we are. And therefore, we need his protection, his sealing. We need this strength so that we can live our lives, go to our careers, fulfill the state in life that we have, whether that be a married life or a nun or a monk or a priesthood, etc. And to do so without falling into all of these different traps and all of these different temptations that Satan sets for us. And the sacrament of confirmation is one that very much helps us to overcome those. It may not be one that you recognize, though. Again, I think a lot of people, they undervalue confirmation because they say, well, I didn't recognize any difference. I, if this is all that great, when I got con confirmed at 15, why, didn't, why wasn't there a massive difference in me? Well, again, that can be answered in a few different ways. One is that, unfortunately, a lot of kids just don't take it seriously. And if you don't take it seriously, again, some of this has to do with how open you are. The amount of your devotion, the amount of your love, the amount of your humility with which you receive does matter in the amount that you're able to receive from God. We talked about the sacraments. They confer sanctifying grace. But the quantity that we receive from these sacraments of the special grace and, and, and whatnot can be very much related to the authority of God's will. In other words, what he has decided to give as a result of the sacrament itself. And then also that we're actually devout and good and humble and thankful recipients of the sacrament. A second reason is that I think a lot of kids don't come to the sacrament in the sacrament in the state of grace, unfortunately. I think a lot of our teens are, are, are now committing sins that are mortal sins, and they don't come to confession as frequently as they should to be forgiven of those. And so if you're not coming to confession in order to purify your soul, and you are in mortal sin, and you come to the sacrament of confirmation, you are putting a block on the graces that are to be given to you at that time. Once you go to confession, yes, they are given to you. But how terribly tragic that is to be offered something so powerful and so good and so necessary, too. And to not even go to prepare yourself, your soul, for it so that you can receive as much as you possibly can from it. And then thirdly, I think a lot of kids, though they may be in the state of, of grace, God willing, I think many don't not only don't take it seriously, which is somewhat understandable. I think a lot of places we don't teach very well what the sacrament is. 
uh, and unfortunately, I think a lot of teachers don't don't, don't truly have the passion and, and, and understanding of how how beautiful of a gift this is, and that it's 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 really a, a great honor to even just be the one that teaches the kids to help to prepare them to be able to receive the sacrament. But also, I think a lot of kids put kinds of obstacles in their way that dampens the amount that they're able to receive from it as a result of different kinds of attachments, attachments to your telephone, attachments to Facebook, attachments to your own self-love, to the mirror and vanity, attachments to what other people think, all of these kinds of things. These hold us back from God. These bind our hearts closed so that we're not able to open them as much as we need to and as much as we want to. And so we continue to work at that because all of us have this to some degree or another. We just need to continue to sever those attachments and move beyond that, that step in the spiritual life. We need to be purged of those kinds of attachments to sin as well as just to things of this world. We can have an attachment that's not necessarily sinful, but can be, to sweets, for instance, or to television, for instance. When it stops, when it, when it starts truly impeding my spiritual life or when it impedes my ability to do what I should or when it impedes my health of body or these kinds of things, then it is very problematic and it does become sinful at that point. And then fourthly, I would say that the sacrament perhaps is not something that a lot recognizes powerful, not because of the, the attachments that they have or, or whatnot, but because sacraments are something that are primarily spiritual and they're also physical. They're not guaranteed to be something that is emotional. And although they, they very much can be, and I think a lot of people do actually experience something emotional from receiving the, this sacrament or other sacraments, that that's not guaranteed by God. And that's not our goal either. The sacraments are to help us spiritually. They're to help us in our most uh, important component of our life, and that is getting to heaven, moving forward in God. And so God oftentimes acts in a way that is outside of or under the perception of the emotions and other parts of our life. Therefore, don't pay attention to the emotional part of it. If it's something that helps you, then great and give God thanks for that. But it's not something that we seek and it's not something that we need to continue to move forward. Many people live a, a, the vast majority of their spiritual lives without very much, if any, emotional connection to God. And that is completely fine. That is not what we seek in the Catholic Church. We understand the soul is something so much profound, so much more profound than that, so much deeper than that. The emotions are kind of at the surface level of who we are as humans. Uh, and they can be manipulated by Satan. They can be uh, changed at the drop of a hat with one word from some stranger or one thing occurring at our work or wherever. But the soul is different, and it should be different. So the emotional, again, is not the component that we're seeking. But it is a part of who we are. And therefore, it also should not be dismissed outright as something that is absolutely unessential. We are humans, and therefore we have emotions. And when God gives a, allows us to experience these in a way that benefits us in some way or another, then we should be very grateful for that. But that should never be our goal. What is the saying? A lot of people... They start seeking the consolations of God rather than seeking the God of consolation. In other words, you start see seeking those, those spiritual warm and fuzzy moments rather than seeking God, who at times gives you those warm and fuzzy moments. It's a terrible way to describe uh, uh, something that God gives, warm and fuzzy. However, uh, that is a common term, I think, that is used. So hopefully that gets the point across. Oil also uh, is a type of symbol of health. So it's not only just kind of a protective coat, but it's also a, a, a form of health. Oil was, is considered something that is healthy to consume and it helps in various ways to maintain health. So strength and protection, but also 
health as well. Although it is not done anymore, I would say unfortunately, but that's a personal feeling. Although it's not done anymore, in the 12th century, a long-standing tradition developed of a blow on the cheek. In other words, the bishop would give a little, a little bof a little little slap uh, on the on the cheek, and that was uh, something that was done also in the conferral of knighthood. So when a knight would become uh, a, a knight, they would also receive this in the Middle Ages, at least at times or in certain areas. And the reason was the blow was a symbolic exhortation to follow the example of Christ. In other words, it was, you are given these responsibilities, but now you have this, this true calling. And it's a weighty calling. It's one that you need to carry because not carrying it is something that leads to your own your self-destruction, your own pain, etc. And so this blow was this exhortation to live rightly. And likewise, the bishop, as he's saying, I'm giving you this strength. I'm giving you this life-giving power. The Holy Spirit is working through me to empower you. Therefore, live well. Live rightly. Use this. Because very easily, we are able to ignore the graces that come to us through the sacrament of confirmation. We are able to live the life that we want despite the fact that we've been given and elevated to such a, a, an important role through the sacrament of confirmation. Let us speak on some of these effects of the sacrament of confirmation. First is the increase of sanctifying grace. As I said, every sacrament is a means of sanctifying grace. All of the sacraments are the principal means of sanctifying grace, and therefore confirmation is no different from the other six. We receive an increase of that sanctifying grace at the sacrament of confirmation, which is why it is so important that we must be in the state of grace to receive it. If you are preparing for your confirmation, go to the sacrament of confession. Go confess your sins. You should be going anyway, but definitely get there shortly before your confirmation so that you are as prepared and as pure inside and out as you possibly can be. There is also an imprint on the sacramental, of the sacramental character of confirmation. So I spoke about three sacraments in our sacraments class that give an indelible mark or produce an indelible mark on the soul. Baptism is one of these. Confirmation is the other. And the third is holy orders. We receive this imprint or this seal at the moment of our baptism, but at the same time, we also receive a distinct seal. In other words, it's not just a deeper impress of the same seal, or it's not just a copy of the baptismal seal, but it has its own effect, its own purpose, the seal of confirmation. Therefore, we never receive the sacrament of confirmation twice. Once you are confirmed, you are always confirmed. Even if, God forbid, one were to fall into hell by dying not in the state of grace and unrepentant, they would not receive, uh, they would not uh, have a soul that is somehow without that indication or that seal or that character of their confirmation. That also will lead to greater sufferings in hell, but also greater pleasure in heaven to have this seal, this mark, this character of confirmation. The grace and the faith, uh, excuse me, the specific uh, grace if you remember, I spoke about every sacrament not only increasing sacramental grace, or sanctifying grace, but also giving a sacramental or special grace. The specific grace of confirmation is, quote, the power of the Holy Ghost, end quote, which enables one to believe firmly and profess the faith courageously. Quote, the effect of this sacrament is that in it 
is given the Holy Ghost for strengthening, as he was given to the apostles on the day of Pentecost, namely that the Christian may boldly profess the name of Christ. End quote. This is from the Decretum Pro Armenis. Keep that in mind, that correlation between the Sacrament of Confirmation and Pentecost. Although they're not identical and neither is this church document professing that they are, there is a real correlation that the Holy Spirit descends upon the apostles and the Blessed Virgin and these other disciples that are in this room as they are waiting, as they are praying, as they are opening themselves, as they are longing for the intercession of, of God, the, the, the movement of God and the help of God because they are in dire need of it. They just saw their Lord crucified and then resurrected and then 40 days later he goes up and ascends into heaven. Now what? What are we supposed to do now? And then they receive this strength of the Holy Spirit that enables them with strong courage, with a passionate fortitude and impressive devotion to God to go out and to preach and to proclaim and to bring the gospel to several different nations and several different territories and several different people that would eventually persecute them and even kill all of them for the exception of maybe uh, John. This is what occurs at Pentecost. This is something that indicates what is occurring at every confirmation. The Holy Spirit uses the ministers of the church and what the bishop has, the authority of the bishop that he has in being able to do everything, like ordain a priest, etc., but also in being able to confirm that is significant authority. What holy, impressive power that God is giving to men, to us, to us sinful creatures for the sake of sanctifying the world, strengthening and setting aflame the faith of others. And therefore, the Holy Spirit being received by these teenagers, it should be something that is remarkable and something that is memorable, memorable in their lives. It is something that is truly changing them because that indelible mark, that sacramental character is being pressed on their soul and that will never go away. To boldly profess the name of Christ. This also includes the imparting of the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, particularly fortitude, which is why the sacrament can be known as the plenitude of the Holy Spirit. So again, a lot of people kind of misunderstand this, and they say that baptism, that's kind of the beginning, and confirmation, that's, that's the end, or again, one, that's where parents choose to bring you into the faith, and then this is where the individuals choose. No, I, I think that we should understand it better as that we are given entrance into the church, in, 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 some, in some way, and given fuller admission, our, our role, in a sense, is kind of changing with the gift of confirmation. That we are given more uh, plentifully, or the plenitude of the Holy Spirit, we are given more plentifully uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit to truly sanctify us, not so that we only are members of the, of the Holy Church and children of God, but also that we become soldiers for God. We are truly in the military now with this strength and with this armor and with these weapons that enable us then to fight passionately and to conquer uh, always, so long as we are using the gifts and the graces that come from this sacrament, as well as others that are made available to us through the church. Unlike the virtues, the Holy the excuse me, unlike the virtues of the spiritual life, the gifts are not habits, but more like instincts. So it is beneficial, I think, for us to recognize that there is a difference between 
the virtues and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We might hear these words somewhat often. When we're speaking of the gifts, also known as the powers of the Holy Spirit, we're not speaking of the, the charismata, the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit. So again, we're not speaking of speaking in tongues or prophesying in these things of this sort. Rather, we are speaking of the ability uh, or these, these, these spiritual instincts to fortify and strengthen our soul. The instincts of these spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit or powers of the Holy Spirit are different from virtues. Virtues are predominantly our action in that we build up virtue. I am going to work on being more patient. I'm going to work on being more humble. I'm going to work on being more uh, disciplined as well as fasting. That's also a virtue. Prayer, that's also a virtue. To build these up. How? By practicing them. That doesn't mean that we do so without the help of God. Of course, having the help of God helps us to live out our life in God and therefore build up these virtues. If we don't have the virtues in the spiritual life, we have none. We'll continue to fall. We'll continue to fail. We've got to build up these good practices, these good habits. That's what a virtue is, a strength, in order for us to be able to withstand temptations and move forward in life. So virtue, that is a word that comes from the Latin word meaning strength. It also means man, vir. In Latin. So we need the strength, the muscles of the soul to be built up. If we don't work them out, if we don't pray, then we're not building up the virtue of prayer. If we don't fast, we're not building up the virtue of fasting. If we don't um, dress modestly, then we're not building up the virtue of modesty. All of these are important if we hope to escape from the attachments and the temptations and the traps of this world. Therefore, again, it is more like my action. If you think of a, of, of a large ship and that ship is directed by a rudder. That's what the virtues could represent, that rudder. The rudder is what's going to direct the ship. Eventually, you're going to be going in the direction that the rudder, in essence, kind of commands the ship to go. The more virtues that we have, the more easily we are being directed towards Christ. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, though, these are different. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are instincts of the soul, not habits. In other words, they're not good habits that I build up. Their instincts in that they make me more susceptible and more sensitive to the movements of the Holy Spirit. So as the virtues, it's me predominantly acting, of course, with the nudges and help of grace. With the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it's predominantly the Holy Ghost acting in me. I use Holy Ghost and Holy Spirit interchangeably as the Catholic Church does. Therefore, uh, please don't be confused. I'm not talking about some, some other person or some other thing or whatever. Therefore, these, these, these instincts, they're in us that enable us more likely to, to understand what God wants. To be more likely to, to, to grasp more fully the truths of our faith. Or how things in this world or the happenings or the nature that we, that we see all around us, that somehow has a role in the will and the providence of God. These instincts are very useful in the spiritual life. These gifts of the Holy Spirit enable us to know when God is calling us and to, 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 to know how to respond and what to choose. So often, I think, we're, we're left with two or three or four decisions and we don't know which way direction should go. Should, should I change my job or should I not? Should we move to this house or should we not? In all of these decisions, we need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We need his movements. But how do we respond? How do we know when he's moving? The gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's what, those are those instincts. Oh, when you have an instinct to do something, you have this, this kind of instinctual nature to flee from that danger or to go towards this direction or take this path. 
those instincts, we need that in the spiritual life as well. God gives us that through uh, the, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Quote, Dr. Shell aptly says, Confirmation confers and is intended to affect the possession and use of the supernatural state of grace, the courageous practice of faith, hope, and charity, through wisdom, understanding, counsel, strength, knowledge, piety, and fear of God. Those are the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. Let me just name those again. Through wisdom, understanding, counsel, strength, knowledge, piety, and fear of God. The ecclesiastical name for all these gifts is power. Power to begin as well as to resist, to break down inordinate, that is disordered, self-love, thus enabling man with a free spirit to fear God alone and to serve him, proof against sensual pleasure and human respect. End quote. Virtues modify and order actions. Gifts modify and order modes of our actions. That is, how do I do something? Why do I do something? When do I do something? And so again, we see that although virtues and supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit, that these are very much related, they are different. They are very distinct. And it is good for us to know the difference. It is good for us to recognize, I need to be building up virtue. It is good for us to ask and beg God to continue to pour out the gifts of the Holy Spirit more on us so that we can have better instincts in the spiritual life, so that we can more firmly know that's true, that's false, that, that there's something wrong about that. I may not be able to express why. I may not be able to understand fully or put into words really the detailed information as to why that is wrong. But my instincts spiritually tell me I need to stay away from that person or go a different direction from that falsity or that thing. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2 says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Let me end with a, a quote this episode, and we will continue with the next with some other uh, effects of holy confirmation. St. Bonaventure says, quote, Baptism is the sacrament of those that enter the army. Confirmation, that of the combatants engaged in actual battle. The Eucharist, that of the soldiers regaining strength. Penance, that of the fighters arising from defeat. Extreme unction, that of the departing. Holy orders, that of the officers charged with training new soldiers. Matrimony, that of men whose business it is to furnish recruits. End quote. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Peter, St. Paul, St. John, St. Matthew, and all of you holy men and women, pray for us, help us, strengthen us, and teach us. Intercede for us by asking for more gifts of the Holy Spirit, by asking for greater help and actual graces that will help us to build up the virtues in our life so that we Build these good habits that will lead us inevitably and always towards God and away from sin. Help us to be most pleasing to our God. Help us to appreciate and accept his will in all things. Help us to be the soldiers for Christ in this spiritual warfare that will not only overcome the temptations that are laid before us, but will help to lead others towards his most perfect heart. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you.